Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Well, give knuckles to somebody next to you and say, I'm so glad you are here. And those who are watching at, at home, uh, listen, Christianity is, is not about what you start, it's about how you finish. And so y'all are starting the stream, you know, you're starting the video. So God says to you this morning, finish, finish. Don't let the Pop-Tart, whatever, cause you to get distracted and go somewhere else. Because just because you started the stream... Doesn't mean you had the victory of finishing. So, uh, matter of fact, uh, tell somebody around you, finish well. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's open our Bible. Acts chapter 2. Can't wait to get into some things today, and I'll finish up. Uh, I don't know what I'll... <laughs> Lord willing, I'll, I'll speak more on prayer next, next week. We're still talking about what shall we do from Acts chapter 2. If you've not been watching or been part of some of these sermons, go back online and watch some of these things. We've been talking about looking at Acts chapter 2 and how the Word of God pierced their hearts, cut their hearts, which is the right response to the Word of God. You can tell when the Word of God is penetrating your heart because the next logical question is, Lord, what shall we do? Because the anointing of the Lord will always produce a desire to take action. Always. So how do you know the Word of God is really working in your life when it motivates you to take action? If you're not being motivated to take action, the Word of God is not fully working in your life. So another good question is, what does motivate you to take action? Some of us, it's fear, it's punishment, it's all kinds of unhealthy things. Like, let me just help you out in marriage, just for a second, as, we, as I chase this little rabbit. Those of you who are married and you have a spouse that feels like they can't get you to do anything until they nag or yell or do something crazy. And does anybody have a spouse that sometimes does something crazy? Good answer. Y'all are so scared. You're so scared. So what happens is, or like parenting too, same thing with parenting. Kids, if you, would, if you would listen to your parents and you know what they want you to do, you know what they want you to do before they even ask you to do it. So it would be in your best interest, same with the spouse, to go ahead and take action before the motivation has to change to nagging or fear or intimidation. Because that way you keep it healthy, you keep it good, you keep it whatever. And the, act, the motivation of just, hey, I would like you to do this for me. This would be important for me if you would do this. See, the motivation is life-giving. The motivation is love. The motivation is serving. The motivation is helpful. But you end up training your, your family and training your, parent, your, your parenting relationship and your spouse relationship. You, you train yourself into a rut by how long it takes you to respond. And if you would just respond with joy, sooner, in love, um, then 
then the relationship would be pulled out of the rut and be made upon a rock. And you would teach your family how to take action with the right motivation. Our world is notorious in a sinful world of only having people take action with the wrong motivation, which only increases the use of that wrong motivation and destroys people, doesn't help them. So praise the Lord. I do not have my glasses. I think they're on. (laughs) That's a good question. You might want to ask the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think they are on my desk. There's a clear set of glasses. I think on my desk, in my desk, may the Lord be with you. (laughs) So, um, uh, so here's what we're going to do. Um, Tina, I want you to read Acts 2.42 for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Okay. So this is what we've been going over. And I'm, instead of reading over the whole chapter like I've been doing, just to spare you, I'm just reading that, that, one, that one scripture. That is a key scripture. It's a key scripture to the life of the early church and to your life as the church, to your life as a child of God. This is key. When the word of God cuts you to the heart, you have a response. What shall we do? What shall we do? It's great to stop yourself and ask that question before you just do something. Because the Bible doesn't teach us just to do something. Sometimes your flesh wants to just do something, but you want to have the word of God and the spirit of God, you know, leading you in that question of what shall we do? Thank you so much. My Lord. (laughs) And that's how it's done, (laughs) y'all. That's why people don't come to Faith Center, I'm telling you. All right. So I have no idea what I was just talking about. Uh, yeah, what shall we, we do? So we talked about doctrine, and you can never, the doctrine is always about a person. Because uh, somebody said it, um, I think Kara said it this morning back in the uh, Dream Team meeting, that you know, what you do is more powerful than what you say. And if there's ever a discrepancy between what you do and what you say, people will believe what you do over what you say. And so your explanation may be good, but your example is better. And so what shall we do? It's really important. So doctrine is always connected to doing, and it's always connected to a person. You cannot separate the teaching from the teacher. It's always, it's always connected. And then we get into fellowship and the breaking of bread. We've talked about all these, and we talked about this table and being at, being at your personal table before the, before the Lord and all these things that you're sitting before the Lord. And listen to me, I'm not mad at you, but if, if you have not, if you've been coming here for a while and you've been, especially the last month or so, and you've been listening to these teachings and, and being a part of these teachings at, about the table of the Lord and then the, the other tables, which I'll talk about in a second, but if you've not 
made changes to where you are more consistently spending time, not as some obligation and as some duty, but as a joy and as a privilege of spending time, not in, in religious duty, but relational responsibility. If you've not made some changes in your life to start spending more time at the table with the Lord, that you and the Lord being there at a table together, if you've not made those changes because you're too busy or because you don't know how or because whatever, whatever excuse you could possibly bring up is, an, is a pathetic excuse. <laughs> when you begin to take action, when you begin to do the responsible thing of the, doing the first works with your first love, which is the Lord, every, that's the engine that will drive every other table in your life. And so it all's connected together, the, the doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Because like I taught you, the definition of prayer is, in the, in the word for prayer, part of the definition is an exchanging of wills. It's, 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 it's me coming and yielding myself, not my will be done but your will be done. And God's word is God's will. You are not in a functioning relationship with God um, any, to any more degree than you are in his word. Basically, basically, your relationship with God's word is your relationship with God. Basically. You are no more obedient to God than you are to his word. So if there's something in your life that you're doing and it goes against God's word, you can't justify it by your intention if your intention is not in alignment with God's instruction. You, you, you can't do that. You can't because we always do that. We just we let ourselves off the hook. We think, oh, it's not, God doesn't care. God's love, he doesn't care. Well, he cares enough that he, he put his heart and his character and his doctrine and his will in a book. For us to see and for us to know, for us to have uh, certainty and confidence in his will. And when we align, see the table is where you align your life up. Some of y'all been, just like me, you've been at other tables in your life that take you away. But when you come to the table of the Lord, it's alignment. It's coming into alignment. And this decision to be at the table of the Lord is what literally is starting the new direction in your life. Tori, you're not distracted. And you can, you can actually begin to walk with the Lord. And, and it's a process. You don't get everything at one sitting. It's not like, oh, I spent once at the table with the Lord. You know, don't you wish that that's how it was? Go to the gym one time and you're good for 10 years? That would be amazing, you know. But it's, it's not, that's not how it works. It's daily. It's daily being with the Lord and, and walking in these prayers. And this morning what I want to talk to you about is um, what shall we do? Prevail in prayer. And that word prevail to me is a real powerful word because I remember Jack Hayford taught us. We were um, uh, spent some time with him, and he began to teach us about prevailing in prayer. And I, I never heard anybody teach uh, prayer in this way, in this capacity. So prevailing in prayer is, is about victory. It's about us enforcing the victory that Jesus has already accomplished. Do you know that every one of us, not just a pastor and not just certain people within the church, but everyone who's been born um, by faith in Jesus Christ, uh, every, every Christian, every child of God, every disciple of God should be prevailing in prayer. It's not just the responsibility of a pastor. It's not just responsibility for the front row. It's even the back row. It's, it's even the balcony. 
It's got all of us, every Christian, that it is our calling and responsibility to prevail in prayer. And a matter of fact, you don't prevail anywhere until you prevail in prayer. Every victory that the Lord brings about begins in prayer. And it begins at this table. Then it carries to this table. And this table, your first table, your first table is you and the Lord. Your second table is you and your family. That's the second table. And I just said like this, I'm glad I caught myself. I almost just started walking on this table. That's how bold I felt when I said that. Um, and so that's your, so if, if you're not submitted and if you're not committed for you and you don't value your own life and your own existence enough that you're not valuable enough to, to spend time at a table with your creator and to be in relationship with him, to hear him, to understand him, to, to come into alignment with him and to obey his purpose for your life because you didn't create you. He did, and he did it for a purpose. And to be, to be at a table with him, if you, don't, if you don't value your life and your existence and, and you that much to, to commit yourself to a time with your creator, then I know you're not valuing your family enough to be with your family. Now, I'm not talking about some religi religious duty of, oh, okay, so pastor, I get what you're saying. In order to be a better Christian, I need to spend time in prayer. Okay, done, spent some more time in prayer. Now I'll go spend some more time with my family. No, 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 we don't want to just, get, we don't want to just walk in some kind of false, uh, you know, oppressive, you know, duty of got to be religious. Jesus wants me to do this. I want to be a good Christian. It's the relationship. It's the relationship. It's the life of the relationship that funnels out of this table, overflows to this table, overflows to every other table. And your first table is you and the Lord. Your second table is you and your family. You and your family. You and your family. It's not just your family. It's you being present with your family because you have been in the presence of the Lord. So when it's you in the presence of the Lord and then you are walking with the Lord in the presence of your family, the presence of the Lord sits at the center of the table of your family. And I don't want you to try to be responsible here first. I want you to be here first. But I also don't want you to wait till you get a PhD up here before you start coming here. Because it's here first, here second, and out of whatever he does here and whatever he does here, that is the foundation for what happens out there. Here's the danger we face, and it's not new to this generation. It's not new. It's happened with every generation since mankind. It's happened with every gen. So it's not new to this generation. Social media has made it feel like it's new, but it's not new. Every sin that's happening right now has been happening before. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and so we think it's new because it might be new to us, but it's not new to the generations that came before you. And so what has to happen you know, as we look at this, what the, the, the danger of what's happening is we're going to the world around us. That's the danger of every generation is to think we're the good generation. We've got it right this time. We've evolved. 
we know more than the previous generation, so we've evolved, and we now have, it's going to be different because it's us. And we start putting trust in human wisdom. We start putting trust in certain aspects of the world, then the world begins to define this table, and the world becomes the idol at this table. And we live in reverse. Instead of this table to this table to the world, we end up living from the being conformed to the patterns of this world. And now we're smart. And so what happens is the world is leading us, is leading this table, and then the world, the table of our family, and then the world leads our table. And oh, Lord Jesus, we got to get a different stage set up. And then I come to this table and I'm like, Lord, I have an idea. Let me share with you the wisdom of the world. Let me catch you up. You've been out of pocket for a little bit. Let me catch you up to how we have evolved as humans. That's not a good idea. So if you're not living a lifestyle of prayer, if you're not living a lifestyle of prayer, then you have not fully embraced, because all these go together, you have not fully embraced what it means to break bread. You have not fully embraced what it means to fellowship. And you have not fully embraced the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you embrace the doctrine of him, you want to fellowship with him. And if you embrace fellowship with him, with your family in him, and with, with your church family in him, and, and let, let the fellowship continue out of that, then you will break bread with a heart of fellowship and a spirit of unity. Under the lordship of Christ, that is what unites us then you will live a lifestyle of prayer because prayer will be oxygen to you. And he'll be your first love, doing the first works. And everything that he does here, here, and there will last. But when we get it in reverse, we do not prevail in prayer, we fail. And then we try to fix it. And just like, you know how I try to fix everything? Go start something new. Just like some of you, you better still be watching at home. Don't turn this thing off because you get bored. Don't go start a new stream, especially at a different church. You got you to refocus back on the old thing instead of trying to jump into a new thing because you got bored with the old thing because you didn't want to obey it fully. And I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me. I'm easily distracted. Anybody else in here easily distracted? Yeah, easily distracted. But I want to be reminded. So to prevail in prayer, I want to show you a couple things. Um, so look in Colossians chapter 4. Make a right in your Bible, book of Colossians chapter 4. Love hearing those Bible pages turn. And if you're on your phone, make sure you're in your Bible app and you're not texting somebody or getting distracted or whatever. Matter of fact, at your time with the table of the Lord, I strongly recommend for you to not use your phone because you'll be distracted. And so uh, Colossians chapter 4, I love this. I love this. Prevailing in prayer. This is amazing. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. I taught this a number of years ago. 
And uh, again, I sometimes think if I teach it once, everybody already knows it. So this is a, probably a 10-year reminder. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you. I see her page is turning, so I'll, I'll wait just a second. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 12. When you got it, say got it. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Not just in prayer, in prayers. Explain that in a minute. That you may stand. So what's he praying for? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Not in the ways of the world, not in the wisdom of a generation, not in the theory or the ideas that are, no, in the will of God. What is he laboring fervently for you always in? Is that you will stand in the, and be perfect and complete in the will of God, your creator. Verse 13, I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and that other place. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. So one of the things I want you to see in this prevailing prayer, maybe just a handful of things, is, is I want to break down these phrases for you to see. This is, this is about prevailing in prayer. When you prevail in prayer, when you, when you commit yourself to be at prayer here, and you can be in prayer here uh, with your family, and then with, with your church family, in life groups, and other things with your business, and with different, when you begin to, when you begin to grow in the Lord in all these areas, everything will begin to change. But you got to make a commitment to do it. And here's this man named Epaphras that, that his name actually means, his name, Epaphras, his name actually means to, lovely or to love. One part of, uh, one of the, the, the scholars say his name actually means foamy. I don't even know what that has to do with anything. So we're just going to focus on the other part, love and lovely. So his name means love or to be, or uh, lovely or to love is what his name means. So here's, we have, the, the apostle is writing to us about this man named Epaphras, and he's, this guy Epaphras, he says he's one of you. He's one of you, which makes me think of James chapter 5, uh, and, and I don't know if you've, if you've read James chapter 5. Guys, can we pull up James chapter 5 real quick? James chapter 5, 16 and, and 17. Uh, he goes and says, confess, um, yeah, confess your trespass to one another and pray for one another. I'm, go to the next one. I don't, oh, okay, I'm just going to look at my Bible. I don't see it. It's not working. Let me get there myself. James chapter 5, and we'll come back to Epaphras. I should know the word by heart, huh? James chapter 5. Verse 16 and 17. Uh, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. So he's one of you. So when we read about Epaphras, oh, he labored in prayer. He was fervent. Oh, woo, it's a man of God. He labored in prayer. He's awesome. I'm not. He's amazing. I'm not. He can pray. I can't. 
We can't have that separation. When we read stuff about the scriptures and read stuff about the truth and the the practice of the things in scripture, we don't need to have the separation mindset of, oh, it's true about them, but it's not true about me. Because once we come into relationship with Christ, um, and guys, it's both ways. It's both ways. There's certain things we read in the Bible of the sin and people who sinned in the Bible, and we don't, and we separate ourselves because we justify ourselves by our intention or by our circumstances. And when the Bible is revealing the sin and the fault and the destruction in somebody's life, we don't need to excuse ourselves and separate ourselves from the sinfulness of the sin in the people of the Bible. We need to say, yep, me too, that's me. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's me. Without Christ, that's me. Before Christ, that's me. And then when it, after Christ in the new covenant, when we see people walking in righteousness, peace, and joy, and walking in the will of God, because Christ is, now we're saved and Christ lives in us, we don't need to separate ourselves and, and continue to view ourselves the same way we did before we were saved. So before we're saved, we have to identify with the sin in the lives of the people that the Bible is revealing that sin. And in the same way, we need to identify ourselves in Christ with the righteousness of the people that have been made righteous by faith in Christ because we've been made righteous by faith in Christ. So when I look about Epaphras and what he's doing, I shouldn't have this thing of, wow, golf clap for Epaphras, but I can't do it because of this, this, and this. We don't need to separate ourselves. We need to stand up and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And Epaphras is just a man like me, had a family just like me. Elijah is a man just like me. Elijah did miracles not because of Elijah. Because of the God he was submitted to. So I'm calling you to be an Epaphras. I'm calling you to be an Elijah at your table with the Lord, at your table with your family, at your table with your church family, at the table in the place you work, the place you go to school, whatever you do, your most important responsibility is to know the Lord and represent the Lord at every table. And Epaphras is one of us. But the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much prevails much. And, and so to me, that's, that's just awesome. Look back at Colossians. Uh, Colossians, um, again, let me get my way back there. Everybody good? So he, he says this, always laboring. I love that phrase, always laboring. Epaphras is always laboring. You know what that tells me? Love is always laboring. The labor of love. We'll throw in for Debbie Cornwell's ministry. Love takes action. Love is always laboring. And that word laboring is a really cool definition. That word labor uh, means this. It means contending with adversaries. It means struggling or contending for the prize. And it means to fight. Everybody's talking about how we need to fight. We need to fight. We need to fight. We need to fight. We need to fight by preaching. We need to fight by planning. We need to fight by protest. I'm going to tell you this. You need to fight by prayer. And out of this table and this table, if the Lord is leading you in his will to preach, to plan, 
or to protest, then do it. But if you are leading you to preach, to plan, or to protest, stop it. If we want the will of the Lord to prevail in our life, if we want the justice of God to prevail, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So the remedy for every pain in the world is not some generation thinking they figured it out. The remedy for every pain in the world is Jesus. It's Jesus. But some men love darkness rather than light. And there's nothing, there's nothing, it's just part of it. But what our job, what our job is, is to prevail in prayer. That means this, if I'm going to labor in love, if I'm going to be lovely, and if I'm going to walk in love, then this love has to fight. And the fight is a fight of love. And the fight is in the battlefield of prayer. And the fight is not in complaining. It's not in judging. It's not in criticizing. And the fight is not on Facebook. The fight is you being at the table with the Lord to submit yourself and commit yourself to the Lord to have ears to hear. And God, I cast my care upon you and I cast this upon you. And do you see these people? And do you see this? Yeah, bring it all before the Lord because I don't need my perspective dominating me at this table or that table. I need the perspective of the Lord. So if the perspective of the Lord is going to be in my family and going to be in my city and my community, it first has to be in me. Which means I must yield what I think I know (laughs) to what he already knows. And if I'm going to labor in love, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. But I'm not going to fight with worldly weapons. I'm not going to fight with the weapons my enemy uses against me. I'm not going to give tiff for taff or, or eye for an eye or, or whatever. I'm not going to do that. I was about to say tooth for tooth, but is that what it says, tooth? Eye for eye and something else. It, that means you're biting people. Tooth. Ugh. And so the reality is I'm not going to do it the world's way. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God, pulling down these strongholds. So we got to prevail in prayer. And if we're going to prevail in prayer, we need to fight. We need to fight. We need to labor. We need to fight. We need to fight. We need to have prevailing prayer, which look, look over in Ephesians chapter 6. I know you know the armor of God. I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but I want you to see it. I want you to make a quick left to Ephesians 6, and I want you to see something. I want you to see the purpose to the armor of God. The purpose to the armor of God is really the whole armor of God. I could teach on this. Y'all know it. If you've never read it, go read it. But it talks about putting on the armor of God. Again, not for certain Christians, not for certain disciples, not for just pastors or, or prophets or, or church leaders. This is for everybody. This is for everybody. This is Epaphras, who's one of you. Elijah, who's a man just like us. This is for everybody to put on the armor of God. It's not your armor. It's his armor. And it's not even your fight. It's his fight. And you put on the armor of God and look in verse 18. Here's the purpose. Here's the end purpose of the armor of God. The end purpose of the armor of God. Verse 18. Praying always. with all, Notice, it looks like always laboring. Epaphras was always laboring. There's one word that we need to connect to prayer. 
and prevailing prayer, and it's this, always. Yeah, yeah, but this is happening always. Some of us are, are like a, a broken clock because a broken clock is right at least twice a day. We, we, we can be sporadic and be good in prayer and then have a long season of struggle and then be good in prayer. You know, something happens, some circumstance happens. We've got a court date coming up. We start praying a little bit better. So it's always. Everybody say that word, always. Praying always with all prayer. So there's more than one kind of prayer, which I won't have time to get into today. And supplication. And notice this, in the spirit. That doesn't mean just praying in spiritual things. When you look in context through the Bible, um, in the phrase, in the spirit, when it's, especially when it's talking about prayer, he's talking about praying spirit-filled prayers. He's talking about praying and praising in tongues. He's not talking about speaking in tongues to a group of people that you needed interpretation That's clearly defined in how that should operate in the Bible. What he's talking about is praying in tongues, praying in the spirit where your mind, you don't know what you're praying. You're you're yielding your intellect and everything to the Lord. You're not turning off your brain and turning off your mind. You're not just emptying yourself. You're submitting yourself to the Lord. And you're, you're building yourself up on your most holy faith is what the Bible says. To pray in the Spirit. So if you want to fight and labor in prayer like Paphrius, then what has to happen is if you want your love to actually fight and you want your love to contend for the prize of the, the calling of the will of God in your life, in your family's life, and in the city in which you live, then in my opinion, you can't do that fully without praying in the Spirit. And so there's church tradition and denomination that will tell you, well, I don't feel comfortable with that, and that's not the will of God, and all that's a lie. It is absolutely the will of God, and it is connected to the armor of God. If you want to fully walk in the armor of God, you should pray in the Spirit. I'm not comfortable with that. That's not my problem. Because anything that Jesus gives, I'm comfortable with. And so there's many of us that have had experiences in church, experiences in church tradition of people who meant well, people who love Jesus, but they only knew what they knew. We all know in part. And sometimes you got to learn how to, how, to, how to have fresh eyes before the Lord to say, God, what are you leading me into now? I thank you for the foundation of my life. And this was good and that was good, but it wasn't all good. Wasn't all good. There's some things you need to flush in order to in order to receive. Praying in the spirit. So the the purpose of the armor of God is not so you can go live a life and walk in victory. That's not what he says. The purpose of the armor of God is for your prayer life. The purpose of the armor of God is because here's when you really go to battle. Here's when you really go to battle is when you step into the realm of prayer. And you are literally, by the will of God, enforcing God's will in this jurisdiction. You're in a foreign land in prayer. You're not forcing people. You're not ruling over people. That's why it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not trying to control people. What you're doing is you're having compassion upon people who are different than you. 
having compassion upon people who are not like you. Our heart towards people is God so loved the world. I have compassion upon them. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. The question is, do you? So I have compassion upon the people, even the ones that I disagree with. But I have a sense of confrontation to the spirits that are at work behind the people. To put on the armor of God and begin to declare the will of God to those spirits and those principalities and powers and authorities. Doing all that under the will of God. Then I go preach. See, prayer and intercession is like the air fire, the air support. Then once the air support goes, ground troops must come on in. But many of us in our life, we have no connection. We don't have the bat phone. We have no connection to call in air support. We don't even know the missiles of the kingdom. We don't even know there is a longitude and latitude. We're trying to figure it out in our flesh. Because we spend our morning at the table watching the news instead of talking to the Lord. But if we learn how to, how to fight and labor in prayer, then what ends up happening is suddenly we connect with heaven in God's will, not our will. And what ends up happening in the spirit and in the, in the word of God, we pray the word of God and we pray in the spirit and we begin to call in the air support. And the first place we call it is our family. The kids that you don't know what to do with. The spouse you don't know what to do with. Let me give you some steps of what you can do. And it's going to be one. Pray for them. Call in air support. We have it backwards as Christians. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. I, it, you guys are righteous and whole and perfect and complete. It's probably just me. But I get it confused sometimes. I get it confused sometimes. And what happens is instead of calling in air support for the missile to come at the enemy to help free the person, I have the missile come to the person. Get them, Lord. Can you believe what they've done? Can you believe what they're saying? Get them, Lord. And so now we have Christians that are supposed to be wearing the armor of God but are actually calling in air support from the enemy. And thinking you're righteous in doing it. Somebody gave me a chocolate donut before service, so that's the last time we need to do that. <laughs> I'm fired up, man. And by the way, I want to settle an issue. I want to settle this. Dunkin' Donuts is better than Red's. <laughs> Work it out. That was prophecy. <laughs> That was prophecy. Work it out. A munchkin will change your life. <laughs> we need to have a munchkin for Messiah Day. That's what we need to have. Praise the Lord. I got to get through this. So, so the word fervently, the word fervently means passionately, boldly. It, it, it's this passion. It's like the zeal. It's this passion. Do, prevailing prayer is passionate. We get passionate about all other kinds of things, but why don't we bring the same passion to prayer? 
Same passion to prayer. Same passion to prayer with my family. See, I pray for my family before I pray with my family. And, and we, we walk in this. And I know I'm, I'm probably going a little bit long. I don't even know what time it is. I'm going to go look at it because I'm, I'm going I'm to finish this because you need this. You need this. Fervently, passionately say, well, I don't feel passion. Okay, maybe your flesh has trained you. Maybe your, your spirit is willing, your flesh is willing, uh, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Okay, I get it. You're weak. So what do you do? You, at the table here, you submit your weak flesh, your distracted, discouraged, distorted flesh that the appetites are all messed up and you want to go do something other than pray because you feel like doing something is achievement, which actually the thing you keep doing is what makes you go further and further behind because you're not doing your first love. You're not doing the first works. And you've been distracted into a false destiny that you try to justify Instead of humbling yourself and coming, coming in and saying, I want passion. So here's how you do it. You say, Lord, Lord, I submit my body to you as a living sacrifice. God, I come and I want time with you. And so every day I'm going to spend time with you, Lord. And, and God, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want you, God. I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. God, I'm here. Help me, God. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to pray with an open Bible. I'm going to pray the word of God. Your Bible is a prayer book. Pray the word of God and begin to yield yourself, God. And, and then your family who they don't want to maybe pray with you right now. And isn't that crazy that with people that go to church, but the families don't even pray together? Sarah and I have to contend to have time to pray together, believe it or not. And so the reality is, is that we've got to, you know, there's parts of my flesh that doesn't want to pray. And I've got to yield and say, God, give me passion. Give me, give me zeal to be with you. And God, give my family zeal and passion to be with you. We don't got to make it all religious. Make it cool. Go to the lake and have a time. Go, go make it unique. Make it creative. Ask the Lord, Lord, how can I make time, time with you and my family? How can we make that creative? He may blow your mind with what he tells you to do that seems like, oh, that's so like not religious because I thought we had to do it in church. He may say, take a Sunday off and go to the lake. Now, what he's not going to tell you to do is do what y'all crazy people do. Go noodling. <laughs> Where you reach your hand down in some thing and a catfish grabs it. And you, that's, again, that's just, you probably had Red's Donuts that morning when you did it, is probably what happened. But <laughs> some of y'all are mad. You need to let it go. <laughs> let it go. I'm just joking with y'all. It's more important things. Come on. Let it go. And so the... the, the all right, I'm going on the next one. So this is what he's praying. He's, he's passionate, and this is what he's praying. He's praying that you may stand. This is what he's praying. Epaphras is praying. What is he praying? What is, he, what is he fighting in the spirit? What is he putting the armor of God for? And love is praying passionately for you, contending and fighting. What is love fighting for? Love is not fighting for things to be fixed in the world. Love is fighting for a person. Love before love ever fights for a group of people, love fights for a person. We try to solve this problem, we ain't solving any problem. Some of us are trying to go too big, trying to solve things way out there instead of people that are right close to us. And this is what he's praying for, that you will stand. That you'll stand. 
and that you'll be complete. That word means mature, that you'll be mature in the Lord. You'll be mature in the Lord. And it, and, and it says um, that you, you'll be perfect. That word perfect means mature. The word complete actually means, it means mature, but it means this little added part to it. It means operating and functioning at full capacity. That you're God-given full capacity. If you're a God-given eight-cylinder, all eight cylinders are functioning in your life. So, so what happens is when we come and we have a table here and we're praying, we're, we're fervently, passionately praying that ourselves first would be mature in the Lord and would be operating at full capacity in the will of God. Not in the will of the people. Not in the will of it, in the will of God. Not in the will of what's the most popular thing happening around social media. In the will of God. And then I'm praying that my family will be mature in the Lord and that my family will be operating at full capacity. And no matter what I see, no matter what I see happening, it's like, Lord, you got to help them. I begin to call out the gold inside of them. I see the gifting and I call it out. I don't de- There's things we have to deal with as far as when people fail and struggle and fumble and bumble. But what we first need to do is call out that gold. This is who you are. Because the only reason they're walking in ignorance is because they don't know who they are. And you don't need to let their behavior trick you as a false evidence and you believing there's somebody they're not. That's not who you are. This is who you are. And you begin to speak that life over them, being, being perfect and being complete. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come on up. I've got so much more, but I'm going to wait because I want to just press into something here real quick. If I could have a, maybe somebody come move this table, that would I'd appreciate just move it back over there. If I don't care who, just let the Lord lead you. Michael, you got a 20 or anything on you? What would happen? What could happen? If you, according to Acts 2:42, what would happen if you I sense there's somebody watching right now. I just, I just like saw this. And I sense you're watching right now. And you've been watching and you've been hooked in. And you've been feeling like I've been speaking to you. And I just want to tell you right now. That this is even true for you. This is possible for you. And your life will absolutely change when you trust the Lord. He's pre-calculated your ability to mess it up. For you to come to the table of the Lord. What shall you do when the word is piercing your heart? Devote yourself. Devote yourself to the word of God, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Devote yourself to fellowship with God's people. Fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with God's people. Devote yourself. Commit yourself. 
to breaking bread, having meals, just going to lunch with more disciples of Christ. Not the crazy ones, the good ones. And then pray. Devote yourself to prayer. Which is you talking to God and you listening to God. God, what? Bring that question before him. God, what would you have me to do? And listen. Write down what you feel like he says. And then bring, bring what you feel like he says. Bring that to another believer who's walking with God to help get confirmation. Bring it to the word. But I feel like you're watching and you're freaked out right now because you're like, whoa, whoa, what's happening? Why is he, why is he calling me out? Because the Lord's calling you out. And I see, I see it right now. I see you're crying. I just, I just see it. And you're thinking, is it possible or is it too good to be true? It's possible and it's true. And I'm challenging you to believe the Lord. Because your life and the life of your family can change. If you're willing to vote to devote yourself to prayer. Sometimes church can confuse us. We think we go to church, we've had a good time at church. Teaching is always incredible. Have a good time at, at church, and it's and then we kind of just like disengage. But this room is filled with two kinds of people. It's not just church people. You're disciples of Christ. And it's two kinds of disciples. Ones that are engaged and intentional, and you are growing in the Lord, and yes, you have battles, and yes, you have struggles, and you might be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but you know, you know the Lord is with you. Do you struggle sometimes? Absolutely. Are there hardships? Absolutely. But you are confident that the Lord is with you and He is at work. And then there are those of you who you're not walking in relationship with the Lord. You might believe in Him that He was crucified, was buried, and was raised from the grave. And you might have, uh, have been born again, but you're not walking in relationship with the Lord. And if you would devote yourself to these four things, your life would totally change. Would totally change. So what I want to do is I want the prayer team to come up. We have a team of people that have been praying for you all week and have been praying for you this morning. And now they want to pray with you. I jokingly say they've all had their rabies shots. So we're good. So if you need prayer for anything whatsoever as we go into this time of worship, if you need prayer for anything whatsoever, I want you to come. I want you to humble yourself. Many of you say, I don't really want to pray for anybody, but I feel like going to an altar. Some of you may turn around in your chair and make your chair an altar and just kneel there at your chair before the Lord. Whatever you do, don't just sit there. This is not a concert. Let your heart be open to the Lord, whether it's you sitting down reading the Bible. If you don't want to stand, don't stand. It's not about doing a certain activity. It's your heart. Worship comes from the heart. And in this time of ministry, let your heart be open to what the Spirit of God is doing. If God puts somebody else on your heart to go speak a word or go pray for them, go do it. Go do it. 
Do it with wisdom, but go do it. Even if you don't know him, just say, hey, I feel like God, you, God is highlighting you to me, and I just feel like I'm supposed to say this to you or pray this. Go do it. If you feel like, feel like you need to come and you just need to yield yourself at an altar, come do it. If you just need to lay in the presence of the Lord, you can lay flat. We vacuum the carpet. You can lay flat on the carpet and just right before the Lord. Who cares? And if you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, for you, for a family member, for whatever, you come and you say, pray for me for this. Maybe some of you, you've never given your life to Christ. And you need to humble yourself and come to another human being and say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. They'll lead you in what to do. Some of you, you need to give your life back to Jesus because you took it back and you took control. You need to come to somebody else as a sense of accountability and humility before the Lord. Let your pride be broken. And let's just sit before the Lord and let's just worship. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for, Lord, we thank you for making our Heavenly Father accessible. For making a way when there was no way. Our self-righteousness couldn't do it. Our wisdom couldn't do it. Our effort, our work, even our passions couldn't do it. Our gifting couldn't do it. The things of the world that we trusted in, they failed us, God. They cannot do it. You're the only one who saves. Our education couldn't save us. Our money couldn't save us. Our neighborhood and possessions and could not save us. You are the one true living God. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you as a people, as individuals, for all of our families, and for the church family. And we ask you to teach us how to pray. The generations may be changed. Teach us how to fight with the armor of God and how to prevail in prayer with a motive of love. How to have compassion for people that we hate. and how to confront an enemy we sometimes partner with. Set your people free. In Jesus' name. Let's worship Him and come receive. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.